Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I have another neat guest that is with me today. He is the founder of Parachute Bridge in Nashville, Tennessee. And we're going to get deeper into not only what Parachute Bridge is and does, but we're going to get into his story as well. And it is my honor to introduce you, if you don't know him, to get to know him a little deeper, to introduce you to my friend, and Parachute Bridge founder, Rutledge Long, joining us on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Rutledge, how are you today, my friend? I'm wonderful, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. Man, it's an honor to have you on board this morning. You have, in the midst of COVID-19, I want to get your perspective as a small business owner, because there are a ton of people that are, at least in my state in West Virginia, they're facing challenges. You're based in Nashville. I read something this morning where um, the COVID cases may not have been as prevalent. At the time we record this, um, I'm referring to a news article that has come out recently about what's happening in Nashville around the the COVID cases not being as prevalent as they might have been. But I want to get your perspective as a small business owner. What have you had to face now during the pandemic that you hadn't had to face previously as a small business owner? Yeah, thanks so much. Um, Appreciate it. And, you know, it's been quite a journey, right? Like we were basing our company around the idea of experiential education, hands-on, in-person, you know, getting sweaty, backpacking, traveling abroad, living with host families in places like Cuenca, Ecuador, living in a home together in a, in a residential situation in Nashville, working with companies, showing up to work, um, you know, getting that kind of face-to-face personal experience. That's where we really felt like the goodness of education, um, you know, would be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so immediately we had to completely actually rewrite our curriculum, reinvent our program um, more or less overnight. And so that, that was certainly a challenge I did not foresee. Um, and then, you know, because we were in the very early stages of business, we were preparing for a launch in June. Um, and, and, you know, we made some decisions like I wasn't going to pay myself for 2019, 2020 until we had received all of our deposits that were due like April 15th. You know, we didn't have a PPP uh, payroll really to show for. And so, just like kind of felt like we got hosed the way that that law was written. I mean, there was a lot of challenges. There was a lot of things that could have made us really think we were cursed. Um, but, but actually it's been amazing how blessed we've been um, because through this, we're now able to offer a program that's much more affordable, um, that's shorter, that has lower barriers to entry, um, only takes students about an hour a day to an hour a week, depending on the level of commitment that they want to make and how uh, quickly they want to get through our program. Uh, we've been able to reach students all over the country. I mean, it's been really neat how actually through a lot of hardship and struggle, we have come up with something that's going to make us have a bigger impact um, for more students and, you know, 
kind of a surprise ending, I guess, to a lot of chaos. You know, Rutledge, here's the thing that, that I think a lot of people struggle with in business is the pivot point. Because I, I, I think a lot of business owners say, at some point, market forces are going to, to cause me to pivot or internal forces within my life and my company and my business are going to cause me to pivot. I don't think anybody foresaw the, the power of a pandemic to make businesses pivot. Take me through that pivot point for your business when you realize, guys, we've got to change this model pretty quickly because you have a board of directors, you have people that you're accountable to, but you're also the CEO of the company. You've got to make the decisions and make them quickly and, and, and do those things that take swiftness and nimbleness. I was talking to somebody about that the other day. The, the ability to be nimble in business and in life it is a skill that a lot of people are finding out either the, either they're doing it the hard way or they've already had that nimbleness. Take me through that pivot point for you and kind of the decisions that you went through internally. Yeah, great question. You know, one of the great things about being a company of two or three employees with a board um, is that you can be nimble. You know, we weren't uh, we weren't trying to to you know move a, an aircraft carrier and turn it around. You know, we had a, a little John boat really, and so it wasn't as challenging as I'm sure it has been for a lot of companies. Nevertheless, just trying to discern is this really going to change everything for us, and how how long you know we held on to well, we might run, we might run because what was weird is simultaneously we were competing with two completely opposite reactions. One, more students than ever were considering taking a gap year. Yeah. No, never before had we seen such an explosion in the popularity of the idea of taking a gap year. I mean, case in point, Harvard, 20% of their freshman class did not matriculate. Well, Rutledge, uh, let, me, let me jump in here real quick. Yeah. In my state in West Virginia, and I'll throw this statistic out at you because I thought it was absolutely fascinating to see where education pivoted and is pivoting even more. So in 2019, the president of the Homeschool Legal Defense Fund in late 2019 came to West Virginia to meet with the, the state education secretary, the superintendent of, of the state board of education. In our state, there were almost 4,500 students across the state of West Virginia, a population of 1.8 million people that decided their families and they decided to homeschool for that 2018-2019 school year. And it was causing such red flags in the state of West Virginia that the president of the Homeschool Legal Defense Fund came in to meet with the superintendent of schools here. Now let's fast forward to 2020. Most of the education, most of the 55 counties here in West Virginia are at the time we were recording this podcast are doing a, either a, a full online experience for the students or a blend of virtual and in-class instruction. And here's what we're seeing, Rutledge, and, and I want to get your thoughts there because it blends beautifully to the gap year that concept that you're talking about is now more and more parents are, are becoming vocal and saying, if my individual county is going to go to a full online model, then why 
what's the advantage for us to continue to have them participate in the school system and be counted in the in the roles of the school system, which brings in federal dollars. And and and, and, and if you're it, you, when you watch this on video, Rutledge is smiling right now because he knows where I got. I think he knows where I'm going with this. It's giving students an option that many of them previously did not think they had. When you were looking at the gap year, I love what you said there. Harvard student, 20% of Harvard students are taking, those students would never have considered a gap year in any other circumstance because of how difficult it is to get into Harvard, right? I mean, talk well, about, just, yeah, you know, talk about that. Just jump in there because Harvard is one of the only colleges that in their acceptance letter, and they've been doing this for, for at least eight years that I know of. But in their acceptance letter, they've been saying, we encourage you to take a gap year. Really? Because they know how hard it is, because they know that these students are killing themselves to get into Harvard. They're, they're completely giving up their life. Their identity is Harvard. What do you and think caused that change, though? What do you think? Because Harvard has always had this prestige mentality. We're the school that, that most people want to get into. Right. Why do you think they have changed that mentality? Is it because of attrition in their student population? Once they get there, they decide to leave? Is that well, what? One, I mean, one, gap year, you know, students, um, they go to college afterwards, right? There's this fear that you take a gap year, you're going to realize you don't want to go to college. More than 90% of, of gap year students go immediately to college the next year. So that so Harvard is powerful enough and strong enough and they have enough, you know, students that will always want to come to them. They don't have to worry about, oh, if you take a gap year, you won't want to come to Harvard um, or that you'll find something better. Right. The game of college admissions is such a racket. And, and so colleges are worried, you know, who are we going to get in? Right. They're, they're trying to choose not only the student that they want to have come to their school, they're trying to also choose the student that they think wants to come to their school, right? That they think will matriculate yeah. if they yeah. give an acceptance because they want to have the highest yield and they want to have the lowest acceptance rate because it's a vanity metric. You know, it's kind of like having the nicest car in your driveway. Um, you know, it doesn't Man, that's mean, such a good doesn't, point. Doesn't mean you have the happiest home inside. You know, but but they, you know, there's all these vanity metrics. I mean, you know, there, there's a there's a lot I could say about this, but gap year, yeah, like it really had not been. Um, something that a lot of students were considering because it typically meant, oh, what's wrong? Like, you're not doing what everyone else is doing. What, what's the problem that you're taking a gap year for? Yeah. Instead of just like, oh, I actually think that I can come up with a better way of spending my year than sitting in front of a computer screen and paying $50,000 a year to do it because now the emperor has no clothes. I mean, previously, <laughs> we, we could convince our so good. We, we could believe that colleges must really know some fancy and important stuff about how yeah. to make my life better because look how much they charge and everyone goes. Therefore, it must be the thing to do. And now you can say, wow, that's what you're paying all that money for? Masterclass is like $200. And I can learn you know, from the absolute most, you know, greatest experts in their field. LinkedIn learning subscription, I don't know how much it is, like $15 a month. I can learn all about sales or, you know, professionalism, anything that you want related to the workplace. I can teach myself a programming language for free on YouTube if I'm just motivated to do it. And I can get paid 70 grand a year yeah. for that job. And so it's like, 
the, the cost benefit analysis is becoming tougher and tougher. Like I've got two daughters. We, we're thinking about what will a private college education cost 18 years from now when my second born is college age, it's going to be 750 grand yeah. for four years. If it continues to increase at triple the rate of inflation, which like you just do more math, Brian, which I do lots of math around this yeah. stuff and think, okay, that's 750,000 that Harvard and Bowdoin and Tufts and Williams and Amherst are going to be charging 18 years from now. If they continue to increase at the same rate they've been increasing for the past 20 years, if you were to keep that money invested and give it to your kids when they're 54 as like a retirement gift or inheritance or something, and you just had seven to 10% annual returns on that investment, you're looking at between 10 and 22 million, mm. right? So you, that's it, it. Everything is a choice. How are you spending your money, right? If you're a yeah. full pay kid, 18 years down the line, right? To pay 750 for your kid. And even right now at 250, that's what it costs to go to Vanderbilt full freight, right? So that 250,000, in 18 years, right? How would it be four, six, six million? So you have to believe that your kid is going to save like 150, $250,000 a year yeah. in the job over 36 years to believe that you're really going to get the payout. Well, um, Rutledge, yeah, here's the thing that too, in, in, in having spent some time in the higher ed space, it used to be when, when, when you would walk a student through the admissions process, you could say your degree in, in, 10 years, if you spend $60,000 on a degree, your degree in 10 years is probably going to return you three to $400,000. And I sat down with my son and did the math one day. And I said, okay, I, I, it's been 25 years since I got my bachelor's degree from Marshall University. How much money have, and, and I started taking my annual salaries and doing the math. And I, I think I landed somewhere at like 1.4 million in, of, of lifetime earnings. Now, if I'd have been a professional golfer, I'd probably made that in, you know, in, in like a year, a good, a good year. And I, and I told, but my degree when I got it in 1998 cost me about, after I paid my student loans off, about fifteen dollars to $17,000. But now the money that is that the the rate of inflation has just soared out of bounds for yeah. a lot of for a lot of the costing there that to your point, the math is not good math anymore. It's it, the math just doesn't work. And they're disengaged, right? They're not engaged in their learning already. You know, there's already the National Survey for Student Engagement found that only about 10 uh, percent of college students are fully engaged in their learning and somewhere between 40 and 60 percent are fully disengaged right that's how that's how about a third of college students don't even make it to sophomore year they're barely even showing up right and then you think about okay now you're they're at home or they're taking the Gretchen Wilson approach they're just here for the party they're here for the party but now they're at home <laughs> so there is no party yeah right there, there is no party and they're disengaged in their learning when you get when you step out of that, the idea of the gap year is forget about you know kind of being on the train and being carried with everyone else and doing it for your parents or do you know you don't you're not invested in your education or you have a really unique idea of what you want to do and you know that you can self design a customized year of your life to really pursue what you want to do and it's the best time right we do it all backwards I think in society we work our whole lives to then you know, have some freedom in our 70s and 80s 
you know, yeah. when, 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 you know, there's no guarantee where you need to make it then. I think a lot of young people today are thinking, why don't I take a year now, really focus on what I want to do? What do I want to learn? Do I want to learn how to play guitar? You know, do I want to write that, you know, album? Um, you know, that I, do I want to, you know, learn how to program or code in a language? You know, do I want to work a job, make some money, save up a little bit? Um, just explore, maybe backpack the Appalachian Trail. There's so many things that you can do um, in a gap year and to become reinvested in your learning. And that way, when you do go to college, you get the value from that degree, right? There, college, I'm still a huge believer. I mean, I'm bullish on the value of a college yeah. degree if you're invested in your learning, if you're going there and you're taking it by the horns, if you're going there because you're doing what's expected of you and it's because everyone else is and it's because you don't have a good answer otherwise with what to do with your life, that's probably not going to pan out. So we want to encourage students to find you know, their strength, their values, their purpose, be able to define and articulate their skills, understand which industries are a great fit for them, connect them to mentors that work in those fields, have some conversations, learn, you know, how they can get their start, you know, their career started in one of those areas. Um, so it's really like backwards mapping the college experience, be able to look out after college, think, okay, here's sort of what the jobs are. Here's, you know, why maybe I shouldn't pursue a studio art degree, even if I love art, right? Um, and, and to be thinking more about, hey, this is an investment, a significant one, and, you know, choices that I make about how I spend my time and what I focus on are going to dramatically impact the rest of my life. And I want to park here for just a minute before we get into your story and, and how, but, but I love where this conversation's going and I didn't plan for it to go there, but I, Rutledge, thank you for taking us there because here's the thing. I'll say a couple of things around that. Number one is that a gap year can really help a student hone in on what it is they truly want to pursue it in college as a career. Because going into, into school, there are a lot of kids that go to, to state and public universities that are undecided or undeclared majors. And they spend the first couple of years discovering themselves on someone else's money. And then by the time they're, they've decided and really locked in on what, what they want to do, now they're three or four years in and the costs continue to rise and they're no closer to completing that degree. And so... That's the first thing. And the second thing is, I think we have to hold a lot of schools accountable for the degrees that they offer students and aggressively market to students. Because to your point about studio art, I love what you said there because it's so true. Just because a, a school offers a degree program in a certain field doesn't mean there's a high degree of success that you're going to land a job in that field. So you've spent $70,000, for, for instance, to get a studio art degree that it may take you three or four years to actually get into that industry. And so now your degree is not working for you. You're paying back student loan debt that is crippling. That's what's crippling. You know, when Congress wants to, to talk about student loan debt, and I, I mean to, to make this political, but to me, knowing the system like I do, the reason that students are in student loan debt is because colleges are aggressively marketing degree programs yeah. that are not returning investment. So no, it's, it's insane, actually. You know, there's 22 million Americans that have college debt. Well, only about 11 million of those 22 are making payments towards their college debt. So you got about nine and a half million Americans that owe 
for college that are not paying a dime towards it, right? And it's really no surprise. Um, you start to look at the math, you say, okay, wow, really 40 to 60% of college students are, com are completely disengaged from their learning. And then 30% never make it to sophomore year of all college goers. You start to do the math, you're like, only about 37% of all college students experience a positive outcome from college. Mm -hmm. Between those that owe college debt but didn't earn a degree and those that did not demonstrate any measurable academic or intellectual gains from their time in college and that owe debt, I mean, it's really tough. Um, the numbers are not good. I mean, 42% of 2019's graduates were working jobs that did not require a college degree within seven months of graduation. You had about 50% of those graduates that were either underemployed or unemployed. That was in the best economy that our country has known on record with the lowest unemployment that our country has ever known on record and tough, right? I mean, it's going to be way worse this year and in further years. I've worked with students that were magna cum laude, Phi Beta Kappa, 4.0 double majors at UVA that had no job when mm. they graduated, that had their job offer rescinded. Um, what do you tell that kid? You've done everything right. You were on a scholarship to college, you got a 4.0, you double majored, and now you don't have a job. Everything, and you went to one of the best schools in the country in the University of Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. Everything about your life is Unfortunately, for better or for worse, we've made it from, you know, kindergarten, parents are making college-based decisions, thinking, yeah. well, we better give them in this school, this school, this school, right? And you're, so your whole life is like, get into college, and then you get into college, you do everything right, and you graduate, and you don't even have a job, right? Like, what, what is that? What is the scarring from that? Um, it's like your whole life is a lie almost because you're young and experienced. You didn't know any better. and You just did what you were supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's going to be a big wake up call. Good for, for West Virginia for, you know, having families take their education into their own hands. Um, and that's what you guys, that's what Parachute Bridge is all about is giving those students the option to say, hey, I want to do something different around this experience that society tells me I need to have, but you guys are saying, hey, look, let, consider something different. Consider something else that's really, truly going to prepare you for life. Yeah. And I mean, just, you know, just to be clear, like because of COVID, we've pivoted. Now most of our students are actually in college. You know, we're now mostly working with either recent graduates or current college students. They're not taking time off to do our program necessarily. They're sort of adding it on top. What we're really offering now is like boutique career services. You know, only 17% of college students say that they had, you know, very good experience with their career services center. Um, more students are going and more students are saying that it wasn't a good experience. Sadly, that's the reason why students are going to college. Colleges haven't cut quite woken up to this reality that the number one reason across all socioeconomic background that students are choosing still to go to college is because they believe they will get a good job. 90% of college goers say their number one reason for going is to get a good job. But when your career services center has a one to 500 ratio and is probably only focused on one or two industries that match your school's brand or, or sort of career personality, 
Um, like that's why do you think all the Ivy League students end up in consulting or finance, right? Yeah. It's because they're being pushed towards that. So we're getting some of the most brilliant artists that had probably ever been created or musicians or, you know, whatever. And they're going to end up crunching numbers for Bank of America because, well, that's what everyone's doing. And that's what they're told is the best thing. Um, and I just, I, you know, it's too bad. Um, but, you know, we're trying to get people aligned with fulfilling work that yep. is meaningful to them and that matches their skills um, and, and goals. If someone just, if their goal is just to make a lot of money, okay, yeah, we can help with that too. Um, yeah. but, but we want to make sure that you're also going to enjoy what you do so that you're more engaged at work. We still believe gap years are great. Some of our students are on their gap year and taking our program. But, you know, right now we're not doing the Galapagos and, you know, the Cuenca and the backpacking trip and the, uh, the residential living just because, you know, I, don't, I can't afford good enough lawyers for that right now, Brian. Well, I, yeah, I, under, I understand that completely. Rutledge, I want to pivot here and tell your story because sure. you, you have had a fascinating journey getting from point A to point B where you are now with Parachute Bridge. Take me through your, your journey as far back as you want to go and, and how you got from point A to point B in your, in your life journey yeah. to where you are today. I usually start with this story. Um, and, you know, because my, my personal experience is a big part of why I do what I do. Um, so I grew up like a lot of kids, you know, sort of upper middle class family, you know, competitive, pressure to do well, A's were what you wanted, B's were not good, C's were um, you know, inexcusable. Um, and so, you know, life was from a young age about building the resume, you know, run for president of the class, be captain of the football team, um, you know, be Dean's List student or honor roll student, all that to get into a good college. Um, what can we do to improve our chances of getting into a prestigious school? And so you just apply early, you know, on and on all that. Um, and I ended up you know, kind of losing my way through, through a lot of that, um, was mm -hmm. not, you know, was not a Christian at that point in my life was not, uh, someone that really had a value that I clung to other than be recognized, be, you know, acknowledged for your accomplishments, you know, achieve success in the secular conventional sense. And so, yeah, it was just like kind of a steam train that just ran out of coal um and really stumbled uh in college quite a bit ended up actually getting suspended from college and had a lot of time to reflect on how did i end up in maine how did this southern boy end up in maine um you know and doing you know all sorts of things i never would have thought i would be engaged in um good and bad right partying but also like had a radio show had a band you know played football and rugby was class representative was just trying to do and do and do more stuff. Um, and then graduated into the Great Recession and you know, didn't have a, a job that I had ever dreamed I'd have. I was working at Chick-fil-A. I was selling direct TV packages door to door. I was delivering the newspapers at four in the morning. I mean, just trying to piece it together to make rent um, because suddenly you know, my parents' business was in turmoil. They were in real estate and got really crushed by uh, all that. And so I, I looked back, I said, wow, I had all this privilege. I had this unbelievable education. 
I, you know, super, my parents had invested a lot in my education and yet I didn't know how to write a resume. I didn't know how to conduct a job interview. I did not know how to really network and follow up and follow through. Um, there were so many aspects of the job hunt and the career search that I was clueless on it. And that was kind of the only thing that really mattered to me at that point. And so I ended up in pretty mediocre jobs um, and really underperformed um, and was not in fulfilling work. I didn't know how to find a job that would be meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. So I was just honestly fortunate and blessed that um, the Lord really dragged me out of the ditch, kind of got me focused on uh, you know, serving others. And through my desire to serve, I started volunteer football coaching and tutoring elementary kids. I got to ask you real quick yeah. there. I, I want to jump in here real quick if I can. I'll, take me back there. You, you mentioned a minute ago that you, you, were, you were delivering papers at four in the morning, working at Chick-fil-A. Did, did, did that drive that you had as a college athlete? Because a lot of college athletes, you understand that lifestyle better than, than most do because you live that lifestyle where the, the term student athlete is really, to me, a misnomer because the, the athlete spends probably way more time on their craft of playing football or playing basketball or baseball, or whatever it is they're playing it at the collegiate level. It doesn't matter if you're Division One, Division Two, NAIA, whatever it is. Do you feel like that that schedule and that grind that you were doing in college playing football and rugby, did that help you at those those 4 a.m. delivering newspapers? How did you feel like you got through that time trying to, as you said, piece it all together? Well, you know, like I, I'll, I'll give you the truth. Um, and, you know, the truth is that when I had football season going on, I was, it was a very regimented schedule. It was a full-time job. You had morning workouts, you had afternoon workouts. Um, and it really just kind of wasn't as fun as I remembered it being in, in high school. Um, I was always on the team. I was always one of the better players in high school. I went on to play division three. Um, and it just, it kind of, for me was like less joy, but it did teach me a work ethic. Um, but you've got to really be committed to the, the sport. And, um, it, you know, if you're just, if it's something you did for fun, it may not be for you in college, um, unless you're really trying to, to commit at that level. So, you know, I, I only did one season of football. I did three seasons of rugby, which was just less of a commitment than a full-time job. We only had one practice a day. Was that more physically demanding? Because you see guys playing rugby, whether they play club, you know, club collegiately, or some schools have full-fledged programs like a, a football or basketball, something like that. Which sport for you was more physically demanding? Was it football or rugby? I think you're a little more reckless in football because you have all the padding and equipment. Um, so, but you have to be in better shape for rugby. It's more like soccer shape. You're, you know, more of a marathon football. You have like eight seconds of action and then 30 seconds of rest. So, um, Hey man, I've seen guys get after it in rugby. So, you know, oh, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> there was a lot I had a blast. I had a blast. Um, but you know, basically I looked back on my college experience. I, I just did not get, the maximum value from, from that experience. I don't think I was aware of the opportunities that I had right in front of me. Um, and I had no idea what I was sort of working up to. I, we do it all backwards, right? We, we go through in this 
course of study trying to figure out what we want to do. We're asking kids junior year high school, hey, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? What are you going to major in in college? I don't know. What, what does that even mean? Um, and so they're just they're changing majors. They're doing all this stuff. We wanted to design a program that would help students really think through those decisions critically because there's so many decisions that they're making by the seat of their pants um, that we can we can do some some measuring twice and cutting once uh, like a carpenter would so that we can end up with the shape that we want from our experience. So when when you in so you, in in 2008 2009 you're really trying to find your way. You mentioned your your parents' real estate business was as a lot of businesses did. Absolutely. Went went sideways. So very fortunate. I mean, yeah, I mean it it really tanked. Um, and so, you know, that that was just a crucible moment in my life. It was a time when suddenly I was on my own financially and just kind of woke up, oh, that's what a dollar is. Um, I need to earn some of those. And yeah, yeah, you know, we made it through, like I said, I got involved coaching. That's kind of how I ended up in education was tutoring these elementary school students and coaching. Um, and then as a teacher for the next five to seven years in high school classrooms, I saw students going through the same things I had. They're at these college, they're the college preparatory school. They're in my office crying. They're all worked up over essays. They're begging for extensions on papers. They're you know, trying to juggle violin practice and, you know, after school sports and, you know, SAT tutoring and blah, 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 all to get into a, a fancier school um, where, where they ultimately run out of steam. And I just said, enough. Um, this is nuts. We have to do better. Everything is getting faster and cheaper in our society, except college, which is getting more expensive and taking students longer. A quarter of them have been diagnosed or treated for a mental health disorder. Half of them are ending up in an unemployed. A third of them aren't even making it to sophomore year. They owe $40,000 of debt and it's just nuts. Um, what can we do? And so we, you know, while in graduate school, um, we were just tinkering around with different ideas, you know, playing with like, you know, what ifs and just the possibilities of time and learning. You know, right now students are willing to give you know, $250,000 and four years of their life uh, in order to learn. So what are the possibilities? If you had four years and quarter million dollars, what could you do? And we said, well, what if we had like $25,000 and one year, what could you do? And we, we realized that the possibilities were incredible of what you could do if you really dialed in to making the best year ever um, and how much more maturity and how much more clarity and competence and focus that you would have going into college, um, having, you know, gone through an experience like that, you know, being able to say, yeah, I worked for three different companies. I taught myself a new language. I backpacked on the Appalachian Trail. I lived with a, a host family in Ecuador. I did all that in my year. It's like, wow, that is incredible. Um, you know, the, the, the change, the transformation that you can go through, you know, or you can show up and go to the, all the football games freshman year and, and drink 500 Natty Lights. Um, yeah. and, you know, you probably just be like everyone else. So, you know, it's, well, yeah. I, 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 want, I want to, I want to stay there for, I love what you said about, about the, the things you can do. 
because, and I want to speak to those people that are parents out there, like myself, of a college student, because you hit on something really valuable there. And I love what you said about here are three or four things you can learn to do in a year. And I'm sitting there going that are marketable skills. Marketable. Because, you know, what you can show a company is, hey, in, you know, if I'm interviewing somebody and they, I say, well, why didn't you start college early? And you could say, well, in that year, I learned Spanish and French and I learned to play the guitar. And I also um, set up, started an Instagram business selling whatever. Immediately, that company is going to go, my gosh, you did, you learned those things in a year. How quickly are you going to be able to pick up our systems and things like that? How quickly can we assimilate you? And, and in the back of their mind, they're going, well, training costs are going to be lower with this person. Well, they're going to come into our company and they're going to fit right away. And oh, by the way, we have a, a need for somebody that speaks French because we wanted to move into a maybe uh, the Canadian market where, where they speak French or maybe over overseas. And now all of a sudden you really, those marketable skills that you may or may not get in college or you may, or may just, you catch rather than intentionally pick those up. I just, I love what you said there about that. And it, and it, and it's so powerful. Why don't, in your experience, I've got to ask you this, in your experience, why do you think that that is so foreign thinking or such out of the box thinking against traditional norms and why do you think people are reticent to accept something like a thinking like that you know there's a lot of powerful interests that that are at play here i mean why do you think the new york federal reserve is publishing articles discouraging gap years you know what what does the federal reserve have to do with it well you know do you know what, how much money our government makes by, you know, guaranteeing loans to college students, right? Um, it's, it's unreal. It's it astronomical. Is, it is astronomical. And um, so there's powerful interests at play. We've, we've created a pipeline. Um, we've, we've created a societal expectation that you go to college. It's what you do. And if you don't go to college, it's probably because you have very few options and because you're not as able or gifted or blessed as others. Um, and that's just fundamentally not true. And you know, maybe once upon a time, colleges were able to, to keep up with the pace of change in our economy and were able to deliver skills that were marketable and employable. But even our computer science programs at, at universities, the professors haven't coded for a company in many years. They're teaching languages that are out of date. And the graduates end up having to go to a boot camp anyways so to actually be ready to get that job. So you could just bypass the four years of computer science at Georgia Tech and just go straight into a boot camp. And in nine months, as opposed to four years, you're ready for a $70,000 entry-level job, right? I mean, they have programs right now that you don't owe any money for your education until you get your job. And then you just pay them for two years, 15% of your income, and you're debt free in two years before all your friends are graduated from college. I mean, why do we need to create a pipeline? Why do we need to be hiring 
people, you know, no offense, but why do we need to be hiring people from all over the world, from India and Japan and China to come here and take our tech jobs, which are among the most lucrative jobs available, yeah. looking for Facebook and Amazon and Google. Why do we need to be doing that when we can home grow our talent right here just by dropping the expectation that everyone goes to a four-year college? Right? Completely agree. Completely school, agree. Yeah. People are always like, yeah, like you don't have to go to college. My neighbor's an electrician. He makes lots of money. It's like, yeah, you know, those are nice blue collar jobs. They're, they're important, but there's also new collar jobs. You know, they're, they're not wrong that master carpenters and electricians and plumbers make good money, but maybe they're not thinking about artificial intelligence developers. Maybe they're not thinking about data analysts. Maybe they're not thinking about digital marketers. I mean, goodness gracious, I promise you marketing, there's money to be made because they're, it, they're charging astronomical amounts. And if you can understand things that Google Academy can teach you for free about Google AdWords and Google Analytics and yeah. how to buy you know, Facebook ads, that knowledge is free and you can get paid for it. And unfortunately, having read all the works of Chaucer and you know, all of the, the great canon of our English you know, literature, that stuff you can get for a library card and some late fees. You know, who would have thought? That, hey, man! Who would have thought that P and that Procter and Gamble's most profitable division of their company in 2020 would be the toilet paper division? Huh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you you just I, you are so on target there, Rutledge, with what you're saying because economies and economics will bring things to the surface that that are that are supposed to be there in 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 it you can take a snapshot of an economy in 2018 2019 2020 and and forces outside of an economy can affect the can affect the the forces inside the economy so to your point man you know if if you were a paper distributor if if you sold toilet paper and distributed man you had a killer year this year because who would have thought a global pandemic two months into the year would hit this country and everybody would stay at home. And so, man, I love what you said there about thinking you almost have to have a barometer in the air, kind of seeing where the economy is going and then moving with it, which is what your company did. I've got two more questions for you, man. Sure. You've been so gracious with your time. What's the biggest obstacle that you've overcome in your life? And what was the lesson that you learned from it? Hmm. Man, I wish I had some prep for this. Biggest obstacle that I've overcome. See, that's why we do this this way, man. I want I want people to to just have a an an, an organic. There's so many good things. answer. There's so many things I could reflect on. I mean, you know, I think um, honestly, just dependence. You know, I was raised so much privilege, you know, flying private planes and, you know, going, you know, to London and Paris, you know, every year um, that recognizing that my life is not about just achieving things in order to have material success and get recognition at the country club, um, you know, that my life is to honor God and um, to serve others. So I think really it was just a mindset shift 
um, for me, that was probably my greatest accomplishment. Man, that's awesome. That that's why I didn't give you that question up front, man. That was so beautiful. That was so good. Rutledge, I got to ask you this. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement that you can leave with somebody that's listening to this, that they say, man, I've got a student that's a junior in high school, like we talked about earlier, or I've got a kid that's in elementary school and my family and I are thinking about a lot of those things because I, I, I really feel like you dialed into some people that are, that are listening to this and, and you just, you hit them right between the eyes because that's where they are. And that's what they're preparing for. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement that you could give those families out there? You know, I would say um, our, our mission is we equip students for lifelong learning and fulfilling careers. I would just encourage your young person to be a lifelong learner, um, you know, to model that in your home by continuing to learn things on your own and, and share what you're learning, but also to really help your child or your friend um, think about, you know, who they are, what kind of change that they want to make in the world, what kind of, you know, changes they want to see, and then learning more about how to bring about that change that you, you know, the, the old, uh, you know, saying you can do anything that you want to, you know, we've kind of added as long as you go to college. Um, and I think you can do anything you want to as long as you take ownership of your learning. Don't expect anyone else to do your learning for you. I just encourage people to, um, to, to dream it and do it as far as their education goes. Man, it's so good. We could, we could have done, we could have done two hours just on how broken the, the higher education system is, but, but you, you dropped some great nuggets there. Rutledge Long, go to parachutebridge.org. That's parachute, P-A-R-A. C-H-U-T-E-B-R-I-D-G-E, parachutebridge.org. Rutledge, tell folks how they can connect with you as well on, on social media platforms and other places that you are. Absolutely. We're at Parachute Bridge on Instagram. We're Parachute Bridge on Facebook. You can reach me on my email, rutledge at parachutebridge.org. Um, yeah, we, you know, we are offering a three-week program um, that not only dives into personal finance, helps uh, young professionals articulate their strengths, values, and skills. We workshop resumes. We do cover letters. We do mock interviews, uh, LinkedIn coaching. I mean, a holistic approach to preparing young people for independence and professional life so they can self-actualize into a meaningful and fulfilling career. Uh, thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate you having me on. Rutledge Longgate, man, this has been so good. Thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You bet. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.